Hey yo, welcome back everyone to another episode of the Unforgettable Podcast. I'm your host, Slow Dream, and today I'm joined by my good friends Elon and Sam, aka Fast Dream and Medium Hallucination. In this very informative episode, we talk about and give advice to anyone planning on taking the SAT and applying to college. Besides that, I've got nothing else to say, so let's get right into it. Sam, you excited? We're getting our results tomorrow. I'm very nervous. Aren't you guys getting yours on, on Thursday? Mm-hmm. No, tomorrow. Yeah, tomorrow. Thursday, May 6th. No, tomorrow's no, May 4th. 4th. Oh, 4th. Yeah, yeah 4th. So we're getting our results tomorrow. How do you, how do you think you did? Like, total score. I, I don't know. I really, really don't. I'm just hoping it's something over 1,500. And I find it better not to think about it. And just... Wait, like 1,500 super score or just that one test? Well, hopefully that one test, but you know, super score is nice too. Uh-huh. Wait, was it for the, what's it called? For your SAT. I know you took it twice. Uh, was it easier in the first time? Because I know you took it in Connecticut. Or like when you took it in school, which one was easier for you? Well, Elon, you can answer this too. You got you both fucking Oh, um, well... I think the first, the, the one we took in school was easier because I did do more prep before the one in school and I was more like experienced in it um, at that point. So the one in school was easier, but um, we'll just wait and see how it comes back. Um, For me, I say, I can't tell you if the test was harder or not. <laughs> I don't remember, but I can tell you I was less nervous for the second test knowing that I had a decent first score so those nerves made the second test a lot easier yeah same for me yeah i got you. I don't know i was not nervous for the test at all i was just excited to see everyone again was i like i don't know we took it in our school so it was pretty comfortable like i didn't like care that much and also i had uh, our, our computer science teacher as my proctor so i was also that. oh really yeah i miss joe was my proctor nice so She's a hide and I say hide her. That's it. Oh, uh, what's it called? Do you guys think the practice tests are like too hard? Like, do you think like they like match up well with the test, or do you think they make the practice tests harder than the actual tests? So you're like extra prepared. It it depends which book, because every book you look at is different. Some companies their tests are closer to the actual one than others. Um the, from the college board tests that I was doing in the beginning of my practice, um, those were a little bit easier um, than the one we took in school. But I recently bought a book, uh, Holt McDougall. It was actually pretty good. And it was actually the closest test that I found to the SAT. They were even more similar to the SAT than the college board one somehow. So that helped me out a lot. And they were a little bit harder, but it's better to do harder practice before your exam. So then when on your test, it just feels easier for you. Mm-hmm. yeah I, I agree i heard the princeton ones at, at least i think the princeton ones are like really hard mm-hmm. so i bought myself the princeton review book and i found it significantly more challenging than both the college board book and the sat book but again it was very helpful in preparing me for the actual test yeah i had a kaplan book too it was also harder than the test and the most recent one i just ordered the holt mcdunkler was also harder but um it does get you very 
mentally prepared for the test in terms of like thinking how they think on the SAT and being able to pick a correct answer between two really close answer choices. And when you do it for harder questions, the actual SAT becomes very simple. And for me, I finished the reading part in 50 minutes and that's it. So it was, it was very simple after doing a lot of other prep. Mm -hmm. So do you guys have any advice to anyone taking the SAT besides, you know, practice, you know, just practice well, anything else or? Sam, go ahead. Let's hear your advice. Okay. So I say, if you have the funds, definitely invest in a tutor because I personally think that if I just studied the book that I would not have understood or done as well as I have, because like Elon said, it's very difficult to pick between two different choices that are very similar. And the book does a very poor job explaining why one answer is better than the other. And tutors are much better and more equipped to actually give you an explanation so you understand. And once you have that understanding, you can start practicing by yourself, but definitely get a tutor if you can. Yeah, you should, you should have a tutor for like a little bit just so you understand how to pick out the little details because that's the most important part, picking out the little details from the passages that um, will help you answer your questions. But once you study with a tutor, a tutor a little bit and you understand how it works, it really is simple and you can just study on your own. Like for my second SAT, I just um, practiced and that's it on my own. Um, you really don't need a tutor that much um, after you understand the concept of it. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's, that's helpful. Well, for, not for me. I'm probably, I don't know if I'll take it twice. I'll see. Most likely I will, you know, obviously my best advice will be just practice, 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 do as many practice tests as you can. Obviously don't cram. Don't wait till you're two to three weeks, uh, right before the test. Like I did, I was doing two or three tests a week, uh, just a couple of weeks before my exam. That's not good. You should space it out over time. <laughs> that's what I did. Um, that's what I, did. Nah, I know, but like, that's not the best way is to do it consistently for a long period of time. Yeah, you should be more like me. I was doing like, I basically split up each section of the test. I was doing a test a week, pretty much. And one yeah. more piece of advice is do what works for you best. Like my tutor, she stressed annotating the text. I found it so useless. I found it as a waste of time. I would be taking her tests till the last minute but then I, I started practicing doing it my own way and i was able to do it like elon within 45 to 50 minutes because i don't need the annotating but some people do so you need to figure out what works best for you and what test taking method is going to help you yeah you should definitely experiment with different um strategies when you practice but the most important thing when you practice is to make sure that you do time sections like you take one section of the SAT, the section one, that's 65 minutes. You do the whole thing. You time yourself. Don't use your phone. Don't have any other distractions because timing and pace on the SAT is the most important thing. For my first SAT that I took, I got, I think, seven or eight wrong for the reading. Um, and five of those mistakes came from the last 10 questions. So I was so tired and couldn't focus by the end because during my practice, I was just chilling on my phone after I did just a couple of passages and didn't finish. So I had no focus by the end. So when you practice, make sure that you do your um, time sections with no distractions. I, I agree with Elon. 
I did the same thing. I would do like two or three reading passages and then I would chill on my phone for like five, 10 minutes before going back. On the essay, on my first test, I didn't finish the entire last passage. I bubbled in three random choices. I got the entire last passage wrong and that really screwed up my grade and it made me have to go take it a second time. So really practice like you mean it for the first time. Yeah, for, for math, it's not so much because math is pretty simple. Um, and depending on the person you are, not for everyone. Depending on the person, yeah, but for most people, it's, it's basic algebra one and geometry. Well, there's very little geometry, actually. It's basic algebra one, mostly. Um, so it's not that difficult to get through, um, but you should still practice that time. That time is the, the make or break on the test. Yeah, I used Khan Academy to practice, so they kind of timed me like for, for me khan academy is just the book they take the college board book and they upload it onto khan academy it's the same thing and well if i think like i don't know in my opinion it's kind of better and also worse because it doesn't like take into account the amount of time it takes to bubble all your answers in so that's like, not so significant that it'll uh at least okay at least like a few minutes i would say unless unless you you need you go up until the last minute when you're taking your practice test it really won't change much but that's why you have to experiment because certain people do it better your way. Certain people could do it like me where I answer the question, I bubble it in. I answer the question, I bubble it in. So again, all, you just have to practice and it all depends on what works for you. Yeah, you find what works best when you can make the least mistakes and finish in the least amount of time and just find that sweet spot. So you guys did all this practice. You guys put in all this work for the... SAT and trying to get a high score. Do you guys really think it's going to matter that much this year? Because I feel like colleges are taking a step towards making the SAT count a lot less, you know, than they used to. Like they are moving essay, they removed the essay, the subject test, and they might, or maybe in a few a few years, they'll remove the SAT entirely. Um. Well, at this time, because of COVID, yes, it is starting to matter less because there's not as much accessibility and it's not as easy to get a testing center as it was before. Um, in regards to the essay and subject tests, the essay is pretty useless. I don't mind them taking it out. For the subject tests, I think they're actually meaningful because people can show their abilities. It's not just a cookie cutter test for everyone to take for math and English. Different people have different strengths, which they can show in their subject tests. Um, and some colleges take this into account when you're applying for a certain major or something. And that can help get you into those programs by showing your um, your better abilities in a specific subject like math or calculus or biology or history or something. And you show that by taking the subject tests. Yeah, but at the same time, not everyone is a test taker. Like there, there could be someone that's like fucking amazing at biology. But then they're just bad at test taking. So they get like 80s on every test or 70s. I don't know. So like, Of course, of course. And this be- it's not the, the main uh, assessment of your knowledge and your abilities, but if not with a, with a standardized exam, how else are you going to assess somebody's knowledge in a certain su- in a subject? Well, you look at their, you, you could still look at their grades, you know, and you could look at their extra uh, curriculars, you know, see how related they are to and what they're interested in. Colleges already do that. Yeah, I know. So what, what's the point of the SAT if colleges can already look at your grades and your, uh, What's it called? And your extracurriculars, because tests, like I said, there could be bad test takers, and if you get a poor score on the SAT, 
because you're a bad test taker. While others, they could just be really good test takers, have mediocre grades, and just get a really high score on the SAT. Well, that's why they look at well-rounded people. That's why the whole... That's why the whole idea of college process is for you to be well-rounded because they don't want someone who's only good at taking tests or only good at getting good grades or only good at having extracurricular activities and nothing else. So that's why you need to be able to take a test. You should be able to have good grades in class. You should be able to volunteer in your community or something because they. that's why there's no right way to get into school that's why a kid can go into harvard with an 80 average a 1300 sat but then he plays football he plays basketball he works in the soup kitchen he volunteers at his local hospital that's why you need to be well-rounded because sometimes it does matter so when you ask if the sat matters no one knows and no one has known for a very long time it's just like a baseline like certain schools won't take you if you have under a certain amount. But again, it's not like it's a guaranteed no. If you have other areas that will lift you up and make you look more impressive than others, then you have a great chance. But if you want to go to Harvard and you have a 1200 SAT and nothing else to show for it, of course, you're not going to get taken. Yeah, mm-hmm. in today's day and age, even a 1550 and a 99 average will not get you into a good school. Um, it, I, I, saw, I saw this one kid who had a 13-something on his SAT and not such a high average. It was like an 85 or 90 average. And he got into Harvard because he coded the, um, the COVID counter or something like that. There was like some thing on some website. I don't know. Um, and But it was very meaningful to... Um, tracking COVID and getting through our times right now. And that showed that he was very talented and he had um, excellent abilities in a certain um, field of coding. And that helped him get into Harvard. So his low SAT score did not break his application. Yeah. So, but what's the point of the test in the first, what's the point of why is it based off a test? Like, why is part of your acceptance based off a test when last time I checked, no one's going to stop me at gunpoint and give me a, a test to do, or I'm not going to be, what's it called? Or I'm not going to have, for the most part, my job on the line or anything on the line with one test. Like, if I'm working, I don't know, 10 years in a company, you know, I'm pretty sure they're not going to give me a test. And like, if you don't get, you know, above, I don't know, a 90 on this test, you know, we're going to fire you. Well, again, that's the problem with standardized tests in this country. Like, they're just there to show that the country has smart kids. Yeah, of course, in the future, this that you got a 65 on a test is not going to matter. But in the immediate future, they need to assess where you are and... Again, no one's going to care that a doctor graduates med school with a, with a 65 on their graduating test. The goal is that he graduated, but the test still does matter. Well, the thing is, um, the best way to assess a student's um, abilities is to talk to their classroom teacher because the classroom teacher sees the student um, on a daily basis and knows how the student is doing. I just wrote an essay about this for my English class. Um, the thing is that in order to get into a college, you're not going to have uh, a bunch of teachers just testifying for their students and um, saying that their students' abilities are good to 
get into that college because that just doesn't work. Um, so you need some uniform way to screen everyone and test everyone's abilities. That way you administer a standardized exam. The standardized exams, though, they're not useless. They, they can also test certain abilities like being able to manage your time or pace yourself or respond to pressure. Um, and they, while also testing your ability to, like on the SAT, for example, for reading comprehension and math, or on subject tests, like I was saying before, to test your specific abilities in a certain, um, in a certain class or subject. So it's more narrowed down to that subject. And remember that the test is not made for you to fail. It's made for you to succeed. That's why they always change it and edit it so that it's more fair for the students. Like if you remember when we first started taking like state exams, we had, uh, what, what was it, like three hours per test? Yeah. But now be they realize that certain kids can't take the test with that three hours window. So now they gave them as much time as they need because it's more important for them to assess the knowledge than let's say pacing or pressure. So yeah. they do change the tests to make it easier or the SHSAT when the year before we took it, they had that um, scrambled paragraph thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then they realized that it was very hard and it ruined kids scores and that it hurt them so they took it out to make it more fair so that the students are more likely to succeed than fail but did they make it easier for the student for it to be more fair to the students or did they make it easier to make it so their kids look smarter they have higher scores they could brag more it could be a combination of both. goes both ways goes both ways but really, nobody brags about those scores. Nobody really benefits from it. It's administered by like um, a national organization that gives tests to, actually, you know, for the SHSAT, it's by the NYC DOE. But for the SAT, it's by College Board. Who is College Board going to brag to? What are what do they have to gain if students do well in the SHSAT, on the SAT versus if they don't do well? Don't all those scores go together to like, prove that one nation's smarter than the other like when they rank like who's better in english or who's better in math doesn't those scores apply to it not really i, I don't think that it's used for that i'm pretty sure they're not going to take everyone's grade point average or whatever average they have for a certain class and then just like come like find the average of that per country and then just compare them they're probably going to use some kind of big test like the sat for example to compare different subjects I don't, I don't think they even use that. It's not, it's not used to compare people. It's just used to test abilities and screen people to well, get into Of course, college. they use it to compare people or else it wouldn't matter when it comes to college. Yeah. But that's the whole reason why there's so many factors that go into applying to college. Like we're applying right now. It's a, it's a pain in the ass because you have to make sure you do extracurriculars, make sure you volunteer, have a good average at this point doing well in school is not going to cut it for you. Mm -hmm. Well, speaking on the college process, how, how far are you guys in your college Definitely process? He's been doing a lot more than I have. So for now, I have, so I don't know yet where I want to go because I'm still waiting on the SAT score and it is going to impact where my final decisions are going to be. But for now, I'm interested in business. So 
I've been compiling lists of schools that are good in business, who are near my area that fit for me. And later on, where, when I get my score, I'll narrow that list down and, you know, attend the college sessions, you know, show your demonstrated interest, hear what they have to say, because sometimes they do have something important to say. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes it's a waste of time, but you, you check the name off the list to show that you were there, express your interest. Maybe it'll help. Maybe it won't, but it won't hurt you. Mm -hmm. Uh, Are you planning to go away for college or stay here? Or like for you, it doesn't matter. You're just doing it based on how good the college is itself. So again, I don't know. It will depend on how much I'm going to have to pay, where I'm going to have to go, um, the college that accepts me. So it, it does depend. I would love to stay home. I don't want to go anywhere, but I understand that I might have to leave and I do accept that I might have to. Mm-hmm. So, and Elon, you, you didn't really start your college process yet. Actually, I did. I'm looking into um, eight-year medical programs. So I want to do medicine. And those schools, they really give you an advantage. They save you the process of applying to med school. And you don't have to go in the application pool. You don't have to score very highly on the MCATs. You don't have to do like extracurriculars and volunteer and show your involvement in medicine. Um, You get a certain GPA of like 3.5. And you get a decent score on the, on the MCATs, like 65th or 70th percentile or something. Um, it's different for all schools, but um, generally that's how it is. And you save yourself the application process. Mm-hmm. I don't get The thing is with those schools, it's that getting into one of those is like getting into an Ivy League school, like Harvard or UPenn or something like that. And it's very difficult. So I'm going to apply to a couple of those. Um, but if not, I think I'm just going to go to some cheap school, like a CUNY or something. And that's it. Wait, so for this eight year medical program, is it like, what happens afterwards? You just don't, you don't have to go to medical school or how do, how does like help you? Oh, you, go, you do four years undergrad and then you do four years of medical school. It's just like regular, like you regularly would, except instead of actually applying to medical school, when you finish your undergrad, you go straight there. You're like one foot in the door already. Like, you know, how there's like combined elementary and middle schools. It's like the same thing. Like you're just automatically going on to medical mm-hmm. school. Yeah. And afterwards you put a resident, a residency, right? Well, that's no matter where you, what, what kind of program you're in. When you graduate from med school, you go to residency. Oh, okay. Okay. So yeah. do you guys know like what majors you're also going to? Cause I know, I know if you're not, if you don't get into the medical program, like, like what major would you choose? Pre-med? Yeah. And then Sam says doing something with finance. Uh, well, that's the general field I'm going to aim for. But again, each college does have a different major. So it's going to be specific to the college I go to. Some colleges are stronger in one major than the other, and it will make a difference once it's time to decide. Yeah. And there's like different branches of finance. Or if you want to go into businesses, like different branches, like just exactly. specific. I think the biggest the biggest thing before you apply to college though is it's not it's not necessary but it would really help you if you had an idea of what career you want to pursue. Like Sam knows he wants to do business, I know I want to do medicine. It helps a lot in selecting what type of college you want to go to, understanding what kind of tuition you're going to be paying, 
um, and deciding how good of a school you actually need to apply to. Like for me right now, I don't need such a top tier school for my undergrad. Med school is expensive and I need to save up my money, go to some cheap school, take my prerequisites in biology and chemistry, and then go on to a good medical school that'll land me a good residency. But for Sam, for Sam it's a little different since he's pursuing business. Sam, you can, you can explain how it is for you. Right, so you need a top tier school to come out of school and make money because once you get your business degree, you don't necessarily have to go back to college. A lot of people, for a graduate degree, a lot of people actually recommend that you go work and gain experience so that once you go back to get your degree, that you just, you go get a promotion, you can become a manager or something. So if you go to a CUNY, for example, you'll come out making, I don't know, let's say 70,000. But if you go to an Ivy League school like UPenn, you can come out making closer to 100,000. And it does make a difference. And then move mm-hmm. up. What did you say? And then you move up. In- and then you move up. Yeah. All right. Sean, what about you? What, what do you want to do? Yeah, we haven't heard from you much today. <laughs> no, like, I, I don't know. Like, what, what I plan to do is obviously going to uh, some type of finance major, going into college, right? Mm-hmm. And then declare a double major uh, for English, you know, in my second year. At least I'm pretty sure that's how, how it works. Okay. What's the what's the reason for declaring a double major? How will English help you? Oh, like okay. I'm not going to English to the English major for like, you know, to get a certain job. It's more of like the skill set I'll gain from the English major. From the English major, you learn how to. Um, what's the fucking word? I don't know. You you need to say it yourself. Yeah, I know. Like when you try when you like, oh you you learn how to express yourself better. You know, you can also write better, you know. You just kind of learn how to communicate with another person a lot better than you did before in, the, in many different ways. If you're pursuing finance, though, how will that help you in your career? Because I'll be a great fucking speaker. I'll, I'll, I'll say things <laughs> and people will not over my voice and the way I'm saying things. Well, first of all, what, what in finance are you looking to pursue? That I have not decided yet. I have, I have not on. thought about it. So why don't you just take like public speaking courses or just minor in English? Why do you have to major in English? It's going to be a lot more work for you. Yeah. And if it's not going to help you in the future, why don't you just like take specific courses that interest you that you think will benefit you? Like public speaking or like, I don't know, writing classes. Well, I'm not really interested in public speaking, but like. Like you're saying it's, it'll help with articulation. Yeah, articulation. But that, that doesn't mean I have to speak publicly what do you what do you need to articulate if you're crunching numbers all day hey i'm not i'm also gonna be talking to people you know no, articulation Obviously is gonna, gonna help meetings, you meetings you know and things i'm gonna have to say and do you know i mean you know how to speak but what you're describing is more for like a like a president delivering speeches or something it's not like um for a person to just know how to talk to other people no it's very important to be able to sound like you're a knowledgeable and intellectual person because when you, when you sound knowledgeable first of all people have more respect for you people are going to listen to you more and let's say if you move up to a managerial position you do need that and you do want that and if you have 
this quality that makes you sound intelligent and more respected it'll people above you will notice and it'll keep helping you go up yeah it's, it's, Sam, Sam just explained my point but I did not get to explain my own point you're welcome <laughs> thank right. you maybe you're right maybe you do need a little bit <laughs> but again I don't see a reason to major in that you can take a course or just minor in it because I, I, I feel like majoring A would be better. I feel like I would learn more. And then B, it's also like, I feel like it also looks better at the same exact time if I majored in both. Because it kind of also shows like. You're just going to have a piece of paper. It's just a piece okay, of paper. It's a piece of paper, but it's something I, that it's the piece of paper I could brag about when I'm applying somewhere. It'll be, it'll be a lot more work for you though. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's fine. It's just work. It, again, it may help you depending on where you're looking to apply. But if you don't know what you're going to do, then it may or may not help you. Yeah, but also depends what kind of English major you take. Because there's like creative writing, there's basic, there's like general English, there's uh, rhetorical English, there's uh, there, there's like two more. But again, not, none of that's going to help you. None of that's going to help you. You need like to teach you how to speak, to present yourself. You don't need to like learn about techniques of Shakespeare and whatnot. You need to learn how to like use high level vocabulary accurately in sentences. That's what also that's what English major also does. It's not like English major is not one. Obviously, it's not like one specific thing. They have, they have multiple classes that like, oh, what's it called? That what is the fucking word? Yeah, that that I guess tackle different parts of English. Part of it is speaking. Part of it is writing. Part of it is identifying writing techniques. You know, that's, and so that's on and so forth. English, what you're describing, huh? What you're describing is rhetorical English. Yeah, that's the one I'm probably planning on taking. I'm in it right now in school. It's it's hell. <laughs> in what way? Well, it. I really don't see the point in it because what, what all we do in class is we just sit and analyze every word that an author uses in a text and um, and you just overanalyze every single every single sentence, every word. What is the point of using this comma here instead of here? What is the point of putting this adverb here instead of here? And I feel like it's just, it's too much. It's not actually getting you anything and it's not there's no point plus it's, it's over analyzing something that the author may not even have done like for example we were just doing great gatsby um there was a sentence um i, I don't remember exactly but it had a, a comma in one place and an adverb in another place why did he put it here instead of there why say uh, it indirectly instead of saying it directly and we spent half an hour talking about one sentence that's essentially what it is well, okay, two things. One, I feel like college will be different than uh, high school because obviously college is also based on the professor. He or she Probably chooses yeah. what you're learning. High school, you just one set course. The material is the same. I don't think the teacher is like making things up. The subject is the same, not really the material. No, but I also mean that like, let's say that sentence, right? The teacher is not like thinking of this. This is clearly been debated before and people agree on what it means and he is just trying to or she is just trying to demonstrate to you what is important to learn because 
it does have value. Yeah, but um, the thing is that this debate itself is just pointless, I feel like. So you won't pursue the career. It's That's not, it. Look, it's not look, the debate itself may be pointless, but maybe it's like the, the repetition of doing it and the skill set you learn. Maybe at one point you'll be able to read an email or hear someone speaking and you could just catch like certain things he's trying to say to maybe persuade you, persuade you to do certain things. And in your head, you're kind of like, like, give me an example. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe you're in a, you're listening to some dude's speech or, uh, I don't know. He's trying to sell your product, you know, and from learning the CLA class, you know, all this, all these techniques is using and you're not being persuaded to buy his dumbass product. You're right about the fact that it will help not make you buy this dumbass product because you know what this guy is doing. But how will that help you in a finance field? Oh, easy. Everyone, almost everyone in the finance field is basically fucking corrupt. Everyone tries to sway you with words. If you can find out how they're trying to sway you, then, you know. Well, by that logic, then that's every field. But I would, I would say the business field and the finance field does it the most. Because everyone's trying to one-up each other to get a more, another promotion make more money you know? right but it depends what you do if you're gonna be a stockbroker or if you're gonna be like a what's it, a hedge fund manager you need to like convince people to like give you their money yeah that's part of it as well you know you're not just gonna learn to identify but there's plenty of careers where you don't need to convince people convince or identify when people are trying to convince you or do something you know I don't think you're going to be sitting there one day in the future in a meeting with a stockbroker where he's trying to convince you. And you're like, oh, I learned this back in rhetorical English in college. This word and this comma that he just used and that exclamation mark. No, not he's, like trying, that. he's trying to trick me. He's trying to trick me. I'm not going to invest in him. He's a liar. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Unforgettable Podcast. Make sure to share this episode with all your friends and follow me on whatever platform you're listening on. Other than that, I have nothing else to say, so I'll see you next week.